have you ever been lost? Karen, Elise and I went for a bushwalk at Wentworth Falls in the Blue Mountains a couple of months ago. And even though I was following a map on a phone app, uh, we somehow missed the main track and we ended up on this overgrown, narrow trail that skirted the edge of a high cliff top. Uh, I thought it was quite fun. Uh, I had a few scratches. We ended up in the right place. Uh, but we were itchy, uncomfortable. We were geographically lost. Uh, but there are other sorts of lost as well, aren't there? To be lost is to be somewhere in life that you're not supposed to be. Uh, lost, perhaps, is the 40-year-old man happily married with two beautiful children, uh, the family he always wanted. Uh, but work takes over and takes his attention and his energy. He grows apart from his wife and his kids grow up without him. One day he comes home from work to find the house empty. They've left. He never saw it coming. He's lost. He's not where he's supposed to be. Lost is the respectable 60-year-old mum and housewife. She spent the last 40 years trying to please everyone around her. An emotionally distant husband, a judgmental mother-in-law, ungrateful kids. Her friends are acquaintances rather than friends she has to impress. She's exhausted. Five years to retirement, and what does she have to show for it? When will she have the courage to stand up for herself? She, she's lost. She's not where she's supposed to be. Lost is the young university student. Plenty of time, money, energy, opportunities and friends. The world is his to enjoy. And he wants to try everything. His life is full of pleasure and excitement. But he wakes up in the morning and he feels empty. He's lost. He's not where he's supposed to be. The world is full of lost people. And most of the time, nobody notices or cares. Because, well, if we're honest, we all have enough problems of our own. But these were the sorts of people who were coming to Jesus because they saw someone who did care. But more than that, someone who went looking for them and who offered them answers, offered them a way to move from lostness to wholeness, a way to move from, the way life, uh, from life the way it shouldn't be to life the way it was designed. Last week in chapter 14, we saw Jesus describing God's invitation to his kingdom as like a man who invited to his banquet, uh, verse 21, people who were poor and crippled and sick and lame. And then in verse 23, because he still wanted his house to be full, he goes out looking even further to those on the edges of society, to the highways and the country lanes, to those who were really lost. And we read that he compels them to come in. And that's what Jesus is doing for lost people. He, he's bringing them in to God's kingdom. And he finished chapter 14 with the words, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And guess who takes him up on that offer? The very next verse, chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. Isn't that wonderful? 
the lost. Uh, people who recognise that they're not where they're supposed to be and who want to do something about it, they're hearing him. But verse 2, just like today, there are people who don't want anything to do with the lost. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They complained. They grumbled. They said things like, people that lost need to be avoided, not helped. Their sin might infect us. So steer clear of them. But Jesus has the opposite attitude. He values them. He seeks them out. He welcomes them. He eats with them. He loves them. A few chapters later, he says that that was the whole reason he came. At chapter 19, verse 10 of Luke, he said, He came to seek and to save the lost. When he meets a tiny tax collector called Zacchaeus, who's up a tree. But rather than rebuke the religious leaders, he tells a story. Three stories, actually. And in each one, uh, each one is about God and his desire to find lost people. And God's action of seeking them out. And especially the joy he has when they're found. Because that's God's heart. That's Jesus' heart as well. Compassion for lost people and joy when they're found. First uh, story is about a shepherd, verse 4, who seeks out a lost sheep. Ah. Uh, while he leaves the 99 safe sheep by themselves. Secondly, verse 8, it's about a woman who loses one of her ten coins. But despite having nine left, she turns the house upside down until she finds the tenth one. These first two stories, they focus on God's attitude, who persistently seeks the lost and then is full of joy when he finds them. But we'll focus on the third story, the story of the lost son, because it's all about how we respond to God. The first two stories don't talk about our response, they're about God, but this third story is about how we respond to God's offer. So verse 11, a father has two sons. Don't forget that. Uh, the younger son decides he's had enough of living with his father. And so he persuades dad to cash in his investment portfolio, to give him his share of the inheritance now. It's the ultimate insult. It's wishing his father was dead. It's like walking around grandma's house putting post-it notes on all the furniture. That's mine when she dies. I want that painting. I've got the silverware. That's what this son's doing. But amazingly, his father agrees. And when he gets the money, verse 13, the son takes it all, he goes to a distant country and he spends the money. He's not interested in being a son anymore. And the Bible says that's exactly what we all have done towards our Heavenly Father, God. 
God made us to live under his roof by his rules, protected and provided for, but we'd rather live on our own. Now that basic attitude of ignoring God, of wanting to live independent of him, that's what sin is. Now we are all guilty of that attitude. All of us. Whatever our life looks like, we may not look lost. (laughs) We may make a complete mess of life or we might be successful. We may be upright and moral or we may be horrible to people. We might actively reject God or we might just ignore him and pretend he doesn't exist. But either way, we are still rebels. All of us at one time We're living away from God. Well, what about the son? How did things turn out for him? Well, his new life started well. Verse 14 says he squandered his wealth on wild living. Lots of fun. Parties, food, drink. Plenty of friends to help him spend his money. But before long, it was all gone. Things go from bad to worse. Verse 14, there's a famine. His friends don't want to help. Verse 15, he ends up feeding pigs. He's so hungry, verse 16, he even looks longingly at the pig's food. And he wonders how his life could have finished up in such a mess. He's reached rock bottom. He's lost. Things were never that bad at Dad's place. Then one day he comes to his senses, verse 17, his father has servants. Bing! At least they get three meals a day, a roof over their heads. So he decides to go home, beg his father's forgiveness and ask for a job as a servant. Verse 18. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. The best he can hope for is that his father will reluctantly take him back with conditions with a debt to pay off so he starts for home meanwhile verse 20 dad's dad has spent every day on the veranda waiting hoping and one day while he was still a long way off his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. He doesn't wait for his son to come all the way to him and then stand there with folded arms and a frown on his face. He runs to meet him with an incredible, undeserved, unexpected welcome. The son begins his speech the offer he'd planned. Verse 21, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He never gets to the part about asking for a job as a servant. All he does is admit his sin, admit the insult he's caused his his dad, that he deserves nothing. There are no demands, no offers, just repentance. Jesus is telling us that that's all that we need to do to return to our Heavenly Father is is to recognise our sin 
recognise our unworthiness and ask for forgiveness. And Jesus says we can do that confidently because of the picture he describes about God's forgiveness. Have a look at how the Father responds. There are no lectures, no conditions, there's no silent treatment, there's no debt to repay, there's simply joy. Verse 22. But the Father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And Jesus says that's what God does when one of us returns to him. It's hard to believe, but it's true. It's hard to believe that the perfectly pure and holy God of the universe rejoices when one sinful, insignificant human being comes home to him. Do you remember the earlier stories Jesus told? It's the same reaction, verse 7, with the lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not, do not need to repent. Or with the lost coin, verse 10, in the same way I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. If any of you make that decision, if any of you recognise that you've wandered away from God and repent of that and return to him, then God will rejoice. There'll be a party in heaven in your honour. The champagne is on ice, the invitation's gone out, he is persistently seeking you out. He's calling you. He's waiting to begin the celebration of a lost son who is found. How will you respond? But there's also another son, isn't there? Do you remember? He's the stay-at-home son. Perhaps he's like many of us, raised by Christian parents, baptised into the visible church, We've grown up knowing that God is real, that he deserves our love and respect. That, that was certainly my experience. The oldest son never insulted Dad by asking for his inheritance. He never wandered away from home, ruined his life. He stayed and did as he was told. But did that mean his relationship with his father was a good one? No way. Look at his reaction when he finds out about the party for his younger brother. Verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. This older son, he, he was a son by name, 
but by his attitude and action, he was only a servant. He thought his relationship with his father was based on service and works. He expected his father to reward him for his actions. He wanted payment for what he'd done. He didn't realise that being a son, it wasn't something that you could earn. Sonship was actually a privilege and, and something, it wasn't something that you earned. It, it was a gift from the father. Verse 31, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. What a comparison. A younger son who wanted to be a servant but was restored to being a son. An older son who was actually a servant because he didn't understand that being a son was a gift. The lost son is enjoying the banquet, delighting in his restored sonship with his father, but the found son is complaining and ends up outside and distant. There's a huge difference between being a son and a servant. Ian Smith, who many of you know, tells a story of uh, growing up with his father who ran a marina. That was his business. And uh, Ian used to love spending his Saturdays helping his dad potter around on boats, as Wind in the Willows says. Uh, he'd watch his dad work, he'd help out here and there, he'd go out on boats whenever, the, whenever there was a test drive happening. And as he got older, it gradually dawned on him that other people got paid to work at the marina. Ah, that sounds all right. So he asked his father if he could get paid as well. With a smile on his face, his dad agreed. So the next Saturday morning, Ian showed up bright and early for another fun day at work. Ian said he'd never had such a shock in his life. He didn't stop from dawn till dusk. If he wasn't sweeping, he was washing or making coffee or cleaning up or running errands. By the end of the day, he was exhausted. And as his dad was paying him, he asked Ian if he still liked the idea of being a paid workman. And it was then that Ian decided he much preferred the privileges of sonship to the expectations of being an employee. Now this was a lesson that the younger son had learned. But the older son, he preferred the rules and the expectations of being a paid worker. Now the problem with that, when it comes to our relationship with God, is that no one can earn a relationship with God. No one can earn salvation. No, no one is good enough to be able to pay God anything. Look at the older son's attitude. Firstly, bitterness and resentment towards his father. Life in dad's house was to be endured, not enjoyed. All these years... Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate. Are you ever like that with God? Grumbling, continually asking, never thanking? Feeling like you deserve more than you get? It would be great for your attitude to follow the example of my friend Fiona who has posted on Facebook every day for the last few years three things she's thankful to God for. 
That would be a good way to correct this sort of attitude. But there's a second mistake the older son makes, his attitude towards his brother. He was envious of his forgiveness. He was angry at the injustice of it because the younger son didn't deserve forgiveness. The older son expected his father's approval because of what he did. And so he thought the younger son should be judged the same way. He should be judged on the basis of what he did. Now when we recognise that, we can see the sting in the story. Do you remember the start of the chapter? Verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You see, they rejected the sinners because they felt they hadn't earned their way into God's house. The Pharisees and the teachers couldn't understand how God and Jesus could accept these sinners and eat with them. And yet the father's joy is so infectious, he wants the older son to share in his joy as well. My son, the father said, you're always with me, everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found. Come and enjoy the party. That's Jesus' answer to the Pharisees. He's saying if God has accepted these lost people, then you should too. You should receive them as brothers. Do you ever find yourself making a judgment about what sort of people are suitable to be in God's family? Decide what is acceptable and unacceptable? Who made you the gatekeeper for God's sheep pen? If God rejoices in the salvation of someone, who are you to disown them? to treat them as not part of the family. Do you ever find yourself avoiding the homeless, those with mental health problems, the divorced, the unemployed, those with drug problems, the person who doesn't speak English very well, those whose life is a mess? In other words, people who are lost. Do you ever find yourself avoiding them? Do you ever find yourself instead moving towards the respectable, to those who are easy to talk to, those who don't demand things of you? Jesus' heart goes out to those who are lost, whatever they look like, and to ours, ours should as well. We should seek them out and rejoice when God finds them and welcomes them home. One final word of caution. Where does the oldest son finish up? Verse 28. The oldest son became angry and refused to go in. That, that's the end of the story. The younger son is welcomed back. He repents. The father forgives. No questions asked. No repayment necessary. 100% restoration. Enjoying the party that is far richer than any party he wasted his money on. But the older son finishes outside. He's separated from his father. His arrogance and his pride and his anger means he misses out on the very thing he worked so hard for. He thought he was in. He thought he was found 
but he ended up missing out. He was lost. Don't let that be you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a story, a message, a challenge in two parts. Firstly, for those of us um, who are despairing at where our life has ended up, who feel unworthy. Uh, For those of us there, you are speaking to us and telling us that you are seeking us, that you want us to come home, to be like that younger son, so that you can welcome us back and rejoice. May those of us like that hear that word. Uh, Secondly, our Heavenly Father, this is a a word for those of us who um, are like that older son, uh, who have known a lot about you, have been in your house for years, and yet we find ourselves with this attitude of feeling like we deserve it and others don't. Help us to see people as you do. Help us to love them as you do. Help us to seek them as you do. And help us to rejoice as you do. Amen.